Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Megan Doherty and myself are back for another season of Picard. In this series, it's Picard Season 3, which will be the final season of this great television series. In this series, we will go through each episode, detailing the synopsis, taking a look at some of our favorite scenes and discussing general themes and looking at key Easter eggs. I know you'll enjoy because that's what heroes do, Picard season three. Episode eight, Surrender. In this episode, we begin with Vedic locking all systems aboard the Titan from the crew. She threatens to execute the crew if Jack does not surrender, which he does after she kills a lieutenant on the bridge. Data's personality breaks the partition from Lore's persona, and he realizes he cannot overpower Lore, and he therefore surrenders his memories, which consume Lore and allow Data full control of the android. The rest of the crew rush to the computer core to plug Data into the Titan system, which he reprograms to protect Jack and vent the bridge, killing Vedic. On board the Shrike, Worf and Raffi rescue Riker and Troy, who have spent much of their detainment discussing their marital issues. They find Picard's original corpse and discover the changelings have removed portions of his parietal lobe, specifically those infected with the Eurymedic syndrome. After downloading the Shrike's database, all of them are transported back to the Titan, which proceeds to destroy the Shrike. The reunited crew of the Enterprise-D gather in Titan's briefing room to discuss their next move. With Frontier Day mere hours away and the full extent of the Changeling's plan still not known, Troy meets with Jack and encourages him to confront his fear and step through the red door he sees in his visions. Let's start a little bit with someone we didn't talk about much in episode seven. Let's talk about Jack a little, because this is kind of Jack's moment to shine. Although he did have some great fight scenes and some great mind meldy type control last episode. But we get to know a lot more in this episode about how Jack thinks about himself, which is really interesting. Ultimately, he's such a good guy. He doesn't want to be someone other people have to sacrifice their lives for. He doesn't want that. And he has an awareness that there is something probably beyond this syndrome that is now in question about whether he or Picard really have it. There's something wrong with him. There's something different about him that is, of course, corroborated by our resident Betazoid. But let's talk a little bit about his weird mind powers, because as we saw, he can connect with another mind and seemingly control them. What was your take on that, Tom? It's clear something is different in him, and I think we have seen, certainly in this series, and indeed throughout Star Trek, people become more self-aware of their powers and start to grow in their powers. And I think that's what has happened with Jack. It will, of course, continue, hopefully, but we have seen the killing of murder of the four changelings, whatever that was. It was a pretty powerful scene. But here we had, it's clearly using his ability minds at a distance with no physical contact. 
That's something we really haven't seen a lot of before. So I guess I'm seeing growth in whatever his power is. At this point, I'm not sure I knew or understood what type of being he was. And maybe as a being, he's grown. Not simply that he's recognized powers, but it's clear he's very different. I wondered a little bit how much the differences, how much he was self-aware growing up that was different, and whether or not he used mind-numbing drugs to control what he was sensing or feeling, like we often hear special or different do in other shows, he was pretty good ever reason. And so he's seeing that part of him, we're seeing this growth, and it's a fascinating process to watch unfold on screen. It is, yeah. I found it quite settling. We touched on a little at the end of the last episode that Seven didn't do the Borg thing. But Jack did, because there was no, it hasn't been made clear, at least not that I've seen, that there's any kind of consent associated with entering into someone else's mind and controlling their actions. So there you know, other beings in the galaxy who behaved that way were the Borg. And it did not end well. for They were not the good guys, for the most part, until perhaps the end of the last season of Picard. Still a little unclear. <laughs> but, yeah, so I thought, is there, is there something evil within them? Is there something nefarious? I'm very curious to find out the answer to that. This episode raised a point that I had thought a lot about at the end of the TV series team. And listeners will hopefully recall the final poker game where Picard sits in. But in that poker game, Worf and Riker make a pack not to be male competitors for Troy because she's now with Worf. And it made sense back then. I'm not suggesting she shouldn't have been. But I thought she was with Worf. And she had been with Worf going forward. And until this series, I would have thought he had Worf's child, not Riker's. Now, we find out that's completely wrong. She got back with Riker. But it made the Worf-Troy connection as a physical relationship seem much shorter in time than I would have imagined. Did mm-hmm. any of that resonate? It, no, I'm glad you brought it up because I had blanked that over from the end of TNG. For me, Riker and Troy I always had as, yeah, those two. That's the couple right there. It definitely explains Worf's beautiful soliloquy on seeing her for what was obviously the first time in a long time. That was delightful. But yeah, I guess I always saw Troy and Riker as like the couple. See, I thought it was Troy and Riker, but Riker screwed it up. And so that's what led to Worf having an opening. And that's what Worf, as a guy, (coughs) exploited and got the girl. See, it, it was, as was revealed in this episode, Deanna also, much later, much more recently, screwed it up. So I'd say now they're even. Because her going into Riker and taking the edge off that grief, that's a pretty serious violation of a relationship, even if it was well-intentioned. I'm glad they worked through it. I'm glad they processed it and had their conversation. And, you know, what a charming revelation that they both hate living in the country. That, that was great. That was a couple goals. But uh, yeah, they've both screwed up, I think. And I'm glad they can be friends with Worf. This week is Surrender. What did you think of the bridge scene where the bridge had been surrendered to Vedic and her compadres? Uh, I thought that was just almost a rip. Oh, it was chilling. It was absolutely chilling. 
and they would have been so in line with the cartoonishly evil Vedic of the early episodes of this season. But now that we know her backstory and what she's gone through, it's a lot harder not to have... I don't agree with those actions, but I can definitely see the justification for them. That was pretty hard. I think a lot of it was really unsettling. I think Jack taking over control of that communications officer was unsettling. I think Vedic's toying with people like little blind mice before before executing them to get Jack where she needed him. It was all very chilling. And of course, the Shaw and Seven moment of just, you could have prevented this. No, I really couldn't. It was all good. I felt like Vedic was almost legs off that it was just that type of mind games and torture she was playing with the bridge crew. And you had to wonder how long the card and crusher and Jordy could hold out. I'd, at one point I thought, my God, she's going to kill the whole bridge crew. I, I definitely thought that too. And I, I can't help but like, when I was little, my mom always told me one thing. And that was don't dish it out if you can't take it. And it just felt a little bit like that. The Fed, like Starfleet dished it out. Now Starfleet's taking it. And that's not good. Eye for an eye, whole world blind and all that. But yeah, it really speaks to the organization. Yeah. But then we got to the solution. It was a really cool solution. It was so cool. <laughs> you. Yes. you could clearly see. Actually, I thought of two things. The first was the next to last MCU movie where Spider-Man Spider comes up with a solution to killing off one of Thanos' henchmen by blowing him off the orb thereon and says, I'm a really old man. And that movie was Alien. And so at first I thought, wow, they've tied this to Alien. How cool is that? But... Just on that, I, I, oh. blowing people out airlocks and <laughs> blowing them off bridges is some way to kill someone, and I think it kills them. I think it does. I, had, I wanted to ask you a question, deferring to your greater knowledge of the entire Star Trek universe. Was this the first victory via opening up a hatch on the bridge and blowing everyone out of it? This wasn't. This didn't. I don't remember ever seeing this before. This particular. I didn't even know Bridges had, like, vacuum hatches. No, it's the first victory. We have seen people killed that way. And in the first movie of TNG, first TNG movie, Captain Kirk is blown out of a hatch. Okay. So you've certainly seen people killed that way, but it's the first time we've seen it used in a positive manner. And, yes, we learned for the first time there's a bridge hatch. That's probably why they're officers in... I thought something... Vedic dying that way in the solid form of her torture, it, it, it seems so pathetic to me, and not pathetic in the nebbish loser kind of way, but like in the having pathos way. It was so sad to me that she had suffered all of this and didn't even get to die in her final form, or her real form. It just, that, that hit me a little bit. That hit me after she was ejected from the bridge, and her body then shattered. Just yeah, little pieces into little pieces and I know there's a movie reference in there, but I can't recall it right now but that yeah. that to me was a great ending scene and I felt that poignancy when that happened yeah she's just like a character who never had a win of any kind and yes she was the villain not the big bad but the big bad's biggest henchman and yeah it just 
Yeah, I felt bad for her. So what about Troy and her initial attempts to help? Really interesting. Everyone, not everyone, but so many people have so much more information about Jack than he does. Right, Vedic knew about the door, didn't explain the door. Deanna immediately knew about the door and couldn't explain the door plainly, but being able to do that together, I thought was interesting. She got him to open up really quickly. Someone who never had before and much quicker than he's opened up to anyone else, I think, in the series so far. But uh, yeah, I thought, I, thought I'm, I haven't watched the last two episodes yet, so I have no idea what is behind the red door. This was the episode where I got my information on Troy, so I thought that was pretty cool. We had a quick reference by Data around Sherlock Holmes. We even had a reference to Tasha Yar. I'm yes. We haven't seen her somewhere in this, but shout out to Tasha Yard. At least we got a reference in the course to spot the cat, the best cat, the cat, space cat, space cat. After the last couple of episodes, it was frankly a relief to see the good guys win. Yeah. The battle. I know we got more coming, but you know, when you lose a villain or you get rid of a villain as bad as Vedic was in that manner. It, Rather spectacular. Rather spectacular. <laughs> and yeah, the whole scene was thought up. Really, I thought it great. Well done, I should mm-hmm. say. And I really enjoyed that. you have any sort of final or closing thoughts? Yeah, I thought this was a really just lovely episode just on the, what they called the episode Surrender. And everyone was able to break through to the next level by surrendering in one way. By Data surrendering to Lore, he was able to have Lore become, like, Lore became him. By... Jack surrendering these walls that he's built up. I was able to let Deanna in and Deanna's going to help him, I assume. And just this letting go of what you think you have to do in order to ultimately achieve victory. I thought it's a really lovely message and often very applicable to regular life. Well, we're coming up to the final stretch, Megan. So excited. <laughs> See you then. Till next time. Thank you, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning because that's what heroes do. I hope you'll join Megan and I again next week when we take up episode three. Also, if you could subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to it, we would greatly appreciate it. Because That's What Heroes Do is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.